Hello. Today's talk will be on the Buddhist practice of goodness. And I think this is an important talk to give, an important subject to talk about as Buddhists. Because oftentimes we can get caught up when we study the Buddhist teaching in the very deep and profound uh, philosophical and intellectual teachings of the Buddha to the point where it becomes a intellectual exercise where we'll sit around and talk about the Buddha's teaching but not actually practice it. Or we might undertake to practice certain parts of the Buddha's teaching, for instance, practicing meditation. Um, we will undertake to do medi insight meditation courses or so on, or maybe undertake to keep moral precepts, but not really uh, incorporating the Buddha's teaching into the whole of our lives. So we will set a time apart, aside time to practice the Buddha's teaching, but in the rest of our lives we will forget about the Buddha's teaching and go on with our lives as normal, uh, oftentimes in ways that are uh, in contrary to the, actually contrary to the Buddha's teaching. So the what we can understand when we uh, study the Buddha's teaching on goodness is that actually the teaching of the Buddha can be incorporated into every aspect of our lives and indeed should be incorporated into absolutely everything we do, we say and think. So wh whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're driving in a car or traveling or so on, we should think that, that we're trying to live our lives as Buddhists to develop goodness. This is the, um, a, a very easy way to understand the teachings of the Buddha and it's, it's a concept that we should keep in mind uh, as Buddhists and in the development of our practice. So the, the word for, for goodness in, in Pali, in the language that the Buddha spoke, is punya. Punya is uh, a word that Buddhists in general are, are very familiar with, but it can often come to be that we're so familiar with it that the word actually changes its meaning or it comes to mean something very specific when actually it can be something very broad. So punya in, in Buddhist countries can often mean the, 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 the sort of uh, goodness that you accumulate when you give a gift or when you perform a Buddhist, uh, a Buddhist ceremony, for instance. And this is in some ways it can become very much like that which the Buddha taught against. In the time of the Buddha there was an understanding of goodness, of good deeds, of karma, that was very much out of line with the Buddha's teachings or, or in contrary to what the Buddha taught. And that is that it was the act of doing something which was meritorious, which was good in and of itself. Now the, Buddha, the Buddha's teaching on karma teaches that an act is good not because of the act itself but because of the state of mind of the person at the moment when they're doing the deed. If someone acts or speaks with a good, uh, with a wholesome mind, with good intentions, then goodness follows and happiness follows and the act can be said to be a good act. If one acts or speaks with an unwholesome mind, with a mind that is full of, of greed or anger or conceit and delusion, then only suffering can result and the deed is considered to be a bad deed, whether it be a seemingly good deed on the outside. If someone at the moment when they're giving something, 
allows anger or, or, or conceit or, or any kind of unwholesome state of mind arise, then the act loses all of its potency as a good deed and actually becomes an unwholesome deed. So goodness in the, in the Buddha's teaching is, is not simply the act of giving something or the act of worshipping the Buddha or the, the act of keeping m uh, taking moral precepts uh, in a ceremony or so on. It is the actual state of mind that arises which then leads us to do and to say good things. It's how our, um, how our mind reacts to the world around us and how our mind interprets and leads us to happiness or to suffering. The, the Buddha said the mind in, is the most important. And in, this, in, in, the un, in, in understanding goodness, it's very important that we understand this, that everything we do and say uh, is dependent on our state of mind, the, the, the nature of whether it be a good or a bad deed. So the Buddha gave several uh, examples of ways in which one could practice goodness. And what you can see is that actually, in many ways, it doesn't really matter what you do. In fact, everything you do can be, uh, can be goodness. It doesn't, it's not just giving, it's not just keeping moral precepts, even, those, even though these can be said to be states of goodness or, or acts which are good. It, it's actually at the moment when you create a wholesome state of mind that you're developing goodness. Altogether, the Buddha taught ten types of goodness, uh, ten methods by which one can practice goodness. And again, keeping in mind that it's based on the state of mind that they create. All of these types of goodness are, are good only because of the state of mind that they create. They're good because they change who we are. The meaning of the word punya, according to the Buddhist texts, is that it's something that cleans your mind, something that purifies the mind. So the practice of these things again and again with a mind that's intent on helping other people or helping oneself or doing something that is a benefit actually changes the nature of one's mind. It takes away our old bad habits, our habits of being greedy and stingy and hurting and harming or being lazy or so on, to a state of mind that is helpful and beneficial, kind and caring, and in harmony with the world around it, and one that leads to peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. So we should keep, always keep in mind, as Buddhists, first of all, that, that our goal is to do more and more good things, is to train our minds in the practice of goodness. And second of all, when we do good deeds, that it's dependent on our minds. We should not uh, be negligent when we practice good deeds, when we give gifts, when we um, keep morality and so on and so on, that um, we let our minds wander and we let our minds become unwholesome. In everything that we're doing, whether we're eating food, whether we're uh, using the washroom or showering or washing our clothes, all of these things can be meritorious deeds if we're being mindful, if we're, our minds are pure, if we're practicing in such a way that allows us to see things as they are. So I'd like to go through these ten, ten uh, types of goodness and sort of use this as a way of explaining how Buddhists live, how we can live our lives and how we can practice so that we can say we're in line with the Buddhist teaching and that we're developing ourselves for the attainment of true freedom from suffering. The first type of goodness is, of course, charity. 
this is the one which most Buddhist people and, and people throughout the world who are interested in good deeds of whatever religious or no religious tradition, uh, one that we're very familiar with. It's something that, that people do somehow naturally. People who are, are generally good people often think of charity. When they see someone in need, they're very happy to give. And this is something that the Buddha said is goodness. It's something that allows or encourages the arising of a pure mind. It allows us to feel happy. It allows us to feel content. It allows us to sacrifice, to give up something that we want, that we enjoy that pleases us for the benefit of someone else. It allows us to be free from our greed and our attachment to things. And it allows us to feel happy knowing that we've done something good, knowing that we've developed goodness. It allows our mind to, to feel peaceful and it changes our mind so that we're able to see things clearly instead of being having our mind clouded by our desires the way we would like things to be or the things we would like to have, we would like to hold on to. We, when we give, when we sacrifice things for others, it allows us to, to give this up and to, to be content with having little, with having less than 100%. Than, than By sharing with other people, we, we give up the physical, we give up the external, but we gain the mental. And there's a, there's a story that goes along with this to show that actually, even though giving forces you to give up the external, give up those things that you have. Instead of having all your things, you, you give up part or, or maybe all of what you have externally. That actually it allows you to keep the goodness of the deed and, and, and give something good to someone else and allows you to feel happy and at peace. You gain something for yourself. The story is of the one of the Buddha's disciples, Anuruddha. Anuruddha was one of the Buddha's great disciples who uh, in a past life, back um, in many, many lives ago, before he became Anuruddha, before he met the Buddha, he was a servant for a very rich man. And so he had very little, and every day he would eat maybe a, 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 pastry, um, a bread of some sort. And that would be his meal for the day. And on, so on this day, he was going out to work for his master, and he had his lunch with him. And he saw an enlightened being walking down the street, walking for alms down the path towards the village. And he became very excited and he saw that this being was someone who was clear of, 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 of actions and their demeanor was very peaceful. Their walking was very calm and they weren't looking around, their eyes were focused on the path and, thought, and this, this, this enlightened being, or this being was clearly someone who was spiritually advanced. And it turns out that this being was enlightened. And so he became very excited and re realized that he had this perfect opportunity to do something good for someone else. This was a being who would use the, 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 the food that he, he had to the greatest benefit. It was someone who uh, was truly worthy of this gift. And by giving, that he would feel very happy for having done something good for someone who was worthy someone whose mind was free from greed, free from anger, and free from delusion, someone who was noble, someone who was enlightened. And, and he realized that sometimes it, it, it happens that we have food and there's no one worth sharing it with. Sometimes we find someone who's worth sharing with, someone who needs something, but we don't have anything to give. 
And here he realized there was someone who was in need and worthy of a gift, and he had the gift that was worth giving. So he made up his mind right away and he gave this, his whole meal for the day to this enlightened being. And when he did so, he made a wish that he should never uh, hear the words nati. Nati means there isn't any. He should never hear it said that there isn't any. Whenever he needed something, he said, by the power of this gift, may I never hear these words, nati. And so whenever he needed something, he would always have it. When he asked for something, when he went home and said he wanted this food or that food, he should never hear the words there isn't any. And they say the power of this goodness First of all, it, it, it brought great happiness and peace in his mind, but it actually changed his life. And, and I'll explain more of this as I go on with the other benefits that he gained. But they say that even up until his last life as Anuruddha, as this Buddhist monk, before he ordained as a monk, when he was still a little boy, he still had never heard the words Nati through all of his existences from life to life because of the way it changed his life, as I'll explain later to the point where he was playing uh, marbles with his friends and he lost and the, the, the wager was cakes so whoever lost had to give cakes to all the other players so he sent back his servant to his mother he was in a very rich family and he said tell my mother to bring some cakes so his mother sent along some cakes uh, he lost again he lost again he asked for more cakes his mother sent more cakes he, he asked again for a third time he lost and, and asked for more cakes. This time there weren't any. So his mother sent the servant back and said, tell, tell Anuruddha Nati that there isn't any. So the servant went back to Anuruddha and said to him, uh, the, 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 mas the mistress says Nati. Nati cakes, there, the, there aren't any cakes. And Anuruddha had never heard this word before, so he, he was confused for a second and he said, well, well, well that's fine, bring the Nati cakes. If that's all the cakes that there are, then bring the nutty cakes. Because he didn't understand the, the, the it didn't seem fathomable to him that there couldn't that there there could possibly not be any. This is the extent that of the goodness that he had gained. But the most important, as I said, is is how it changes your mind. It changes the way you uh, you you experience the world. A person who is charitable, a person who is generous, a person who is not attached or or doesn't cling to their belongings and is willing to share and to give is a person who actually gets far more in return. They get peace, happiness and freedom from suffering in their minds. It changes who we are and allows us to live our lives in contentment and peace. So this is the first way we can develop goodness. The second way is one that, that religious people in general and Buddhists in particular are very familiar with. This is the practice of morality. And this is one that I think we often have a hard time with, where we find, we find a lot of people who call themselves Buddhists and even may study the Buddhist teaching, but are unable to keep moral precepts to any, any um, real degree. They aren't able to refrain from killing, from stealing, from cheating, from lying, from taking drugs and alcohol. I even met one man who, who claimed to be a practicing Buddhist, wearing white and so on. But he was unable to keep the precepts, most especially the third precept. And, so, and there are many ways of, of, of justifying this. In his case, he had some tricky way of understanding the precept, right? Some way of, of 
turning the precept around so that it only meant a specific type of, of act and not the acts that he was engaging in. The point of the precepts is that they hurt other beings. They cause suffering not just for other beings, also for oneself. In the case, for example, of, of taking drugs and alcohol. These are the things that cloud the mind. They are bad deeds and you can't escape the evil of them. If you say that something isn't breaking the precepts, well, the most important thing about keeping morality is not that it should fit into a category or not fit into a category. It's how it affects your mind. Now, the first precept is, is not to kill. We make a promise and a vow to ourselves not to kill. But does that mean it's okay to rape and to beat and to hurt other beings? Obviously not. When you hurt, when you, even if you, you, you verbally hurt someone, this is also breaking morality. It's an immoral act. So the immor immorality of these acts comes not from the classification that one gives them, but from the suffering that they bring and from the clouding of the mind that they create. When we practice morality, not only does it make us feel, uh, feel uh, consci conscientious, feel that um, we have a, um, a uh, we feel good in ourselves that we, we have not done anything wrong, but it also makes us feel that, that we are a good person. It makes us feel that we are giving something to other beings. We are helping other beings. We are bringing safety to other beings. The Buddha said that someone who refrains from killing, from stealing, from cheating, from lying, from taking drugs and alcohol, has brought safety, freedom from danger to all other beings. If, if you undertake as a vow never to kill any living being, then you have given safety and security to all beings, that they never have to worry for, uh, for any type of danger f that comes from you. Uh, and, and this is certainly not the case in this day and age. We find that when we meet someone, we have to be very careful. We, we're even careful with acquaintances that we have, not trusting them. We, we don't know how far we can trust them, because we know that they, they themselves are unable to keep morality. When a person is able to keep this morality, all other beings are safe from them. When we undertake not to steal, not to cheat, not to lie, and not to take drugs and alcohol, we're bringing this state of clarity of mind, where our mind is free from any deception, any, any uh, impurity that would cause us to hurt other beings, that would cause us to create suffering. We can be trusted and we can be depended on as someone who brings good things and only good things to other beings. So this is the second um, type of goodness, something that is very important and something that we should um, consider essential for us to be considered true and uh, practicing Buddhists. The third type of goodness is one that's a little less familiar but should still be easy to understand for people who know anything about Buddhism or the Buddhist teaching. This is the practice of mental development. That to do a good deed, to create goodness, there is no need to do anything at all. There's no need to, to speak, there's no need to act. All we have to do is create goodness in our mind. We, we don't have to run around building hospitals or schools or teaching other people, even though these are good things. At the very moment when we create a wholesome thought, a clear thought, a thought that is free from anger, free from uh, craving, free from conceit and delusion. We create goodness in our minds and we change the course of our lives. We create a tendency towards clarity and understanding, something that can be used then 
as the source of all good deeds of body and of speech. The goodness that arises in our minds brings peace and happiness both to ourselves and to others. For this reason, goodness need not come from the body or the speech. It can come from simple mental development. And this is by far the most important, even though it might seem like the least effective. And often people will complain that Buddhists spend so much, too much time focused on mental development. But really this is because no matter how much you claim to be a good person, to be doing good deeds, if your mind is impure and you're doing them for egotistical, unwholesome reasons, then you can't be said to be really and truly a good person, dedicated to goodness. And moreover, it's impossible to think that a person who is impure should be able to do these things without the arising of, of impure thoughts. If, an, if a person has an impure mind, even though they have an intention to do good deeds to help other beings, inevitably they'll give rise to greed, to anger, to frustration, to, uh, to conceit, to, to wrong views and so on, to things that will inevitably cause suffering and stress for themselves and sufferings and stress for others. A person who has developed their mind, on the other hand, will never give rise to these uh, states and will, will always be able to create goodness and happiness and peace for themselves and for the people around them. So the development of meditation, of, of the, the development of the mind is of utmost importance. As I said, goodness arises in the mind. Just like the source of a river will always be the determining point as to whether the water in the river will be pure, will be clean. So too, the mind is the source for all of our acts. And if the mind is impure, just like the source of the river that is impure creates impurity all the way down the river, so too the mind that is impure can only create unwholesome, unprofitable uh, deeds, of act, uh, deeds and acts of body and speech. So this is why we undertake the practice of meditation. This is why we're very intent upon it, because it's impossible to do bad deeds when your mind is pure. We practice meditation in two types. The practice of tranquility, when we focus on a concept, the Buddha, we focus on loving kindness. This concentrates the mind and has the ability to, to suppress the defilements temporarily, to allow us to um, temporarily create a good, sta a wholesome state of mind. And the second is we practice insight meditation. Insight meditation has a benefit of, of cleansing the mind permanently by creating understanding and wisdom. So these two methods of meditation work together to create temporary and permanent states of goodness in the mind. When we practice loving-kindness, for example, our minds are full of love, even though we have the potential to, to get angry. At the moment when we develop loving-kindness, we're creating the tendency to be a loving and kind person. So it's changing who we are. When we practice insight meditation, it helps us to understand that anger is an unwholesome thing. It helps us to understand that clinging is an unwholesome thing, that these things cause suffering for ourselves and others. And this understanding allows us to um, deny the arising of, of these states when the opportunity to become anger angry arises, we have no intention, no desire to become angry because we know that it's an unwholesome thing based on our insight, our wisdom. Clinging as well, when we know that clinging is a bad thing, then when the op opportunity arises to 
to cling to something, to want something, to like and enjoy something. We have no interest and no intention to do so because we know that it only leads to addiction and therefore disappointment when we don't get the things that we want. So meditation, therefore, mental development, therefore, is the third type of goodness that we develop as in, in line with the Buddhist teaching. The fourth type of goodness is one that, that's a little less familiar um, probably uh, quite unfamiliar to most people as a type of goodness, but if you think about it, you can see how it really is a very good deed. It's something that we know of uh, in, in certain circles as doing a good turn for someone else, helping other people. This one is supporting other people in doing good deeds. So when another person undertakes to live their lives or to accomplish some goal of theirs for the goodness, for the benefit of themselves or for other, others, uh, when we help them, when we assist them in the conducting of this, in the, the performance and the achievement of their goals, we, we of course gain great goodness. And this is an important one to not overlook. One way that we see this carried out in Buddhism is those people who help monks. The, the ordained clergy in Buddhism have many restrictions. They go on alms for food, so obviously people give them the gift of food those people who want to keep the monks practicing in their way to not have to force the monks to, to give up their precepts and go back to working and, and, and making a living in, in the world, who want to keep these monks studying and practicing so that they'll be able to perform their service as teachers. They will give gifts to the monks, but they also do other things in order to make the monks' life possible. Sometimes it's necessary for the monks to obtain certain requisites, so people will carry money for the monks. If someone wants to give money to the monk, monks aren't allowed to touch money. There might be a person who, who someone, someone else gives the money, their money to this person. That person keeps other people's money and buys things on behalf of the monk and gives those things that are um, appropriate to the monk to use for their, their life so that the monk doesn't have to get involved in... in uh, in, in the, those acts, that those things that are inappropriate for those who have gone forth, and so on. When we help people go to meditate, when we take people to the monastery, when we uh, help other people engage in, 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 their, in their practices, Buddhism, as Buddhists, when there are big ceremonies, large gift givings, we help to arrange things, to invite people, to invite monks, and so on. This is a very important thing that we do. It's important that we, when we hear about other people giving gifts, we don't necessarily have to give something ourselves. But often we can help them and support them to allow them to give, to, to conduct their ceremony, con to conduct the giving. This is the fourth type of goodness that we can perform. The fifth type is uh, another un fairly unfamiliar one, but one that we should never, never lose track of. And this is the ability to pay respect to other beings, to, to other people, the ability to be humble, the ability to not hold ourselves up as higher than everyone else, to not be arrogant or egotistical, the ability to see that certain people have done good things for us and have some kind of uh, hold over us, for instance our parents, to not be arrogant and, and, and argumentative and, and contrary to our parents as best we can to try to follow them be thankful and be respectful to them because they have done us a great service. Mo most of the time they have done great things for us. And if, 
if we know that they have done great things for us, then we do a great disservice to themselves, to them, and to ourselves. Uh, when we when we are are this way, when we're arrogant or conceitful or so on. So this kind of goodness is the ability to 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 lower oneself to other be other people and to respect them, to respect everyone. In fact, to have mutual respect for all beings, where we don't try to always get the better of other beings or to hold ourselves up or to impress others to make them see how great we are. The ability to let go of ourselves, to let go of our ego and to um, be respectful and to try to, to prefer harmony over, over leadership instead of trying to be the best, the greatest, the highest. Trying to find harmony and allowing other people to shine, allowing other beings to, uh, to, to allowing them their goodness, their, their merit and their virtue. So this is the fifth type of, of goodness, one that allows our minds to give up our arrogance and, and our imp these many impurities in the mind that are associated with arrogance and conceit, holding yourself up higher than other beings. Number six and number seven have to do with, with the act of giving. And these have to do with this, this story that I told about Anuruddha. Number six is in regards to sharing the merit of gifts that you have given. So not only do we get merit when we give a gift, but when we dedicate a gift to someone else, we gain merit a, a second time. And this we know of quite well uh, throughout the world. Whenever we give something in, 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 a, in terms of charity, we will often dedicate it to those people who have passed away. We will have their name in, in inscribed in, in, the, in a building that we establish or, or in a book that we print or so on. We will have it dedicated in memory of a certain person. And this is a goodness because it, create, it makes us feel happy. It makes us feel that we have done something for that person. The story goes in regards to Anuruddha that after he gave this, this meal to this enlightened being. He went back home and he was so happy that he just sat down and, 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 and smiled and, and th thought over this act and was sitting in a, in a state of bliss of meditation. And his master came up and said, what are you doing? Where, where's your food? You, you, you're going for lunch, you didn't eat. And he, he explained what had happened and the rich man was very much taken aback, very, very shocked by this that this man who had nothing would give away everything he had, give away his only meal for the day. And right away the rich man acted as all rich people do when, when, they, when they hear about something good. He tried to buy it. You see, rich people, they're, they're, the first thing they think of when something good comes along, something they want comes along, is how much does it cost? So he tried to buy this, this poor man's merit. The poor man had done a good deed, the only way he, thing he could think of was to buy it. So he said, I'll give you a thousand gold coins if you give me your merit. And the poor man, of course, he bought it as well. He thought this was the way things were. So he said, no way, no way I'm selling you my merit. He said, if I give it to you, then I lose it. And the rich man tried to persuade him and he refused. And he said, well, give me half of it. I'll give you a thousand gold coins for half of your merit. And he thought to himself, now he started to get confused. And he thought to himself, well, if I give you half of my merit, then do I lose half of it? How does that work? And he wasn't sure, so he went back to talk to this, this enlightened being. And he, he went and he bowed down to the enlightened being and, and asked him, how does this work? If, if I give half of my merit to someone else, do I lose the merit? 
And the enlightened being smiled and, and, and looked at him and said, uh, asked him a question in return. He said, supposing you have a candle, suppose that you have a candle and you light your candle, and then someone else comes up and, and lights their candle off of yours, and then someone else and someone else until the whole village has lit their candles off of yours. Do you lose the light of your candle? And he said, no, no, if, if I do that, then it's like one candle has become a, a thousand. And the enlightened being said, exactly. The same is true with the giving of, of merit. When you share the goodness, when you dedicate it to other beings and you say, let, this, let them be a part in this, let them rejoice in this, let this be their merit as well, for their benefit as well. It's like you, in, you multiply the goodness a thousandfold. Why this is, is because of the seventh uh, type of, of, of goodness. And the seventh type of goodness, this, so the sixth one is, is dedicating it to other beings. So Anuruddha, he went back and dedicated it to this rich man, and then the king found out of it, about it and asked to buy it as well, and he dedicated the merit to the king, and then all the people in the city wanted this great merit, and so he dedicated it, to he shared it with everyone. Why this works is because number seven is the rejoicing in the merit of others. This is a great goodness as well. Even though you haven't done any good deed yourself, simply rejoicing, obviously not paying money for it, but rejoicing in the merit that other people have performed. When someone does a good deed, appreciating it, saying, wonderful, that's great, I'm glad to hear that, I'm, I feel so happy for you that you were able to do this good deed. This is a great type of goodness as well. Because as I said, it has nothing to do with the deeds that you perform, but you're rejoicing your happiness your appreciation of good things changes who you are. It allows you to give up the stinginess, the conceit, and the, the um, anger, and the, the jealousy, and so on, in favor of being a kind and generous person, a person who helps others and wishes for the welfare and, and, and well-being of all beings. So Anuruddha became very rich, but he also became a very wonderful and happy person because he, he had, was able to do this great deed. And it encouraged him, obviously, to change his life to the point where in his last life he became a Buddhist monk because he saw that the accumulation of, 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 of external objects and possessions was nothing in comparison to the accumulation of goodness. As the Buddha said, the development, the accumulation of goodness is happiness. In fact, the Buddha said that happiness is another word for goodness. Goodness is another word for happiness. So this is number, number six and number seven. Number eight and number nine have to do with teaching the Dhamma. Number eight is the, the, the listening to the Dhamma. Number nine is, is teaching the Dhamma. So these two go together. These two are really the most important um, duty that we have as, as Buddhists in terms of spreading the Buddhist religion. Everything else comes from these two. If there's no one to teach the Dhamma, to teach these, these even meditation practice, then there will be no practice of meditation. All of our meditation will be simply um, insubstantial and, and um, superficial because of our lack of understanding of the truth that the Buddha taught. If there's no one to listen to the Dhamma, then the preaching will be of no use. If no one takes it to heart and remembers it and understands it, then there will yet again be no one to practice it. These two are very important things that we should very, very 
clearly keep in mind and something that we should not be negligent in regards to. Many people in, in the world are, many Buddhists in the world are content simply with giving charity and keeping morality but have no interest in the teachings on, on more subtle and refined and deep and profound subjects. Many people are not interested. And I was recently on a bus with some Buddhists and coming back from, coming back from the sacred tooth relic in Kandy. We had gone to see the sacred tooth relic and we were on our way back and there was a lot of confusion on the bus and someone was getting angry so I walked up to the front of the bus and asked for the microphone and I sat down and took the microphone and started giving basic instructions on meditation and, and the Buddha's teaching, you know, just going over things that should have been already known by most people there, reminding us of these good things, giving a teaching on the Dhamma. And I talked and I went on and suddenly people, th this woman yelled up from the back, we want to hear music. <laughs> and, I, and I argued with her, I said, oh no, no, I'm sorry, this is a monk bus. And she said, oh no, no, not a monk bus, there's all these people, we want, we all, we want to hear music, we don't want to hear Dhamma. And, and uh, I, I, I said to her, oh well, it, uh, it, it seems like, anyway, I went on and I was talking about how uh, it, it's not appropriate and so on. But the point was that uh, th these people had just gone to see the most sacred tooth relic of, of the Buddha. And they had gone to see a, uh, you know, to a very important Buddhist uh, place of worship, and yet there was still no understanding, no, no interest in hearing the Dhamma. And this is a very sad thing, something that we find nowadays. People are only interested in the external appearances, beautiful uh, monasteries and Buddha images and flowers and incense and candles, things that are actually very much involved with sensuality, and are not interested when the, when we talk about the giving up of sensuality, the giving up of our attachments. People become bored and uninterested. This is something that is a real shame and something that is a real danger to the Buddha's teaching. Our interest in hearing the Dhamma, our interest, our ability to give up our, our sensual desire, the desire to see and to hear uh, things that are, are only pleasing to the senses, things that are only beautiful, and our disinterest in hearing words um, in regard that that are in regards to what is really important for us, the work that we have to do. Uh, th this is a real danger to to the Buddha's teaching, and we have to understand that the Dhamma of the Buddha is not going to be always enjoyable. The teaching is sometimes going to force us to look at those things that we don't want to see, to examine ourselves in ways that are incredibly uncomfortable, because they force us to give up all that we hold dear. They force us to let go and to stop clinging to things uh, for dear life. So, sometimes listening to the Dhamma, we have to understand it as a duty, something that is going to help us to change. Just like when we hear someone tell us about our faults, this is something that we never want to hear. When, when someone praises us, we feel very happy. When someone says what a great person we are, how wonderful we are, how they love, they love this about us and that about us. It makes us feel very happy. But when a person tells us that we're to this, to that, when we have this problem or that problem, we can become very angry. And most of us will immediately um, not want to hear and not want to listen and immediately 
shut our ears and, and, and maybe yell at them or, or get angry at them and maybe run away or walk away, be unable to take the, the, the truth, even though these, these may be the truth. In the same way, the Buddha's teaching can be very difficult for people to listen to. It's something that we have to be patient with, we have to be open-minded, and we have to be mindful of. When we're listening to the Dhamma, we should, again, the goodness that arises from it is the, the ability for us to set our minds in, in, in good thoughts. So at the moment when we're listening to the Dhamma, at the moment when one is listening to the Dhamma, one can become enlightened if one's mind is set in the right way. And this is what happened in the Buddha's time, that the people were so inclined to meditation and to wisdom that even just listening to the teaching of the Buddha, they were able to think of the goodness and, and, and the unwholesomeness that existed in their minds and able to adjust their minds and able to see clearly and to understand reality for what it was so that they themselves, even as the Buddha was teaching, were able to realize the truth of what he said. So these are number, number eight and number nine. The other thing I would say about teaching the Dhamma is that often people are, are afraid to teach, thinking that you might have to become enlightened to teach. Now as I gave a story in, 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 my last talk, in one of my last talks, you don't necessarily have to be enlightened to teach the Dhamma. Just simply passing along something that you yourself have learned. If you've learned how to practice meditation, then show the basics of meditation to someone else. If you have heard the teachings of the Buddha and remembered it, teach it and show it to someone else. Because even though we might not be enlightened, it can still be of use to others. We are on the path following these teachings ourselves. If we give them to someone else, they also can follow them. It doesn't mean that we have to become teachers, per se. But giving the Dhamma is a very important thing for us to do. Teaching it to our children, teaching it to our friends, encouraging them to come to listen to the Dhamma and spreading it. This is a great goodness. It's something that allows us to be closer to the teaching as well. So this is number, this is the number eight and number nine. The final type of goodness that we can do, we can perform as, as in line with the Buddha's teaching and which we should perform is specifically the straightening, the act of straightening our views. So the act of straightening one's view is actually here specified as the Buddha. In fact, it does come under the other headings, the heading of, of study of the Dhamma, which helps us to straighten our view, and the heading of mental development, because it's only through mental development and study that one can straighten one's views. The only other way is through intros introspection. So here, perhaps the Buddha is talking about this introspection where through our study, when we've heard someone explaining the teaching, to reflect upon it and to examine our own views and to adjust our own views for the creation of right view, seeing that what this person says is the truth and th for this reason we should give up our views, give up our misunderstandings, the things that we hold to be true are actually not in line with, with, with reality. What this person says makes much more sense and is, is really and truly the nature of reality. The other way is after practicing meditation, we can look and see reality and adjust the views that we have in our minds. Through the practice of meditation, we can actually give up our views. The point in specifying this one is that without adjusting our views, without giving up wrong view, our meditation can never progress. Even our acceptance of the Buddha's teaching intellectually, when someone is teaching it, 
can never progress. It's not possible for us to accept until we're able to uh, give up our addiction, uh, our attachment to certain views and, and ideas. If we believe something, the Buddha said, it's true that you believe it, but it may not be true that your belief is, is reality. Even though your belief may not be true, the truth that you have is that you believe it, and that's all that you have. Just because, sorry, just because you believe something and it's true that you believe it, doesn't mean that your belief is true. So this is something that we should be very careful of. People say, I believe this, I believe that. Well, certainly that's the truth, but it doesn't mean that your belief is the truth. It has no bearing on whether your belief is true, because people can obviously believe things that are totally false. The, so, so, for this reason, when we're listening to a teaching, we shouldn't simply say that just because it, just because it, it goes against our beliefs means it's false or means it's inappropriate. We should examine it in regards to reality and compare it with our own belief and see which one is more in line with reality, more in line with the facts, more based on experience, based on empirical realization and not just based on speculation, logic or the extrapolation of reality into something totally different. For example, Many people develop beliefs simply based on, on this extrapolation. They'll experience something and they'll become so sure that this experience means something that it doesn't, that it, it, it certainly doesn't. For instance, people will practice meditation. There are stories of, of individuals in other religions who have practiced meditation, practiced prayer or, or recital of, of the name of God or so on. And as a result, they see bright lights or experience great peace or even hear voices. And immediately, they develop this belief that that is their God, of course, because they've been studying and, and they've been practicing and maybe even reciting the name of God. So that whatever experience that comes, they immediately misinterpret it as something that it's not. And why I, say, why I can say confidently that this is a misinterpretation is because Buddhists and people of all other religions have these same experiences. The difference is that we don't interpret them as something that they're not. So the straightening of one's view is bringing one's view to become back in line with reality through listening to the truth and listening to many different teachers and being able to uh, compare and to determine which one is, is most in line with reality and also through the practice of meditation to see what is the nature of reality. To not only to look at the facts and compare it with the facts, but to also um, come to understand more and more of the facts of life so that you are able to much better uh, determine which views are in line with reality and which are not. This is the tenth and final and most important realization that we can get from the Buddha's teaching. It's not the, the development of compassion or love. It's the development of wisdom. The Buddha said wisdom is like the moon in comparison with the stars. Even though the stars are bright, the brightness of the stars can never compare with the moon, the brightness of the moon. In the same way, the brightness of all good qualities, none can compare with the, the, the brightness and the goodness of wisdom. This wisdom that arises, the understanding of reality as it is, the development of a view that is in line with reality, this is the greatest goodness that we can, we can perform. It is the pinnacle, it is the height, because it allows us to do away with all 
uh, practices all acts and all speech that might cause suffering for ourselves or others. Obviously, no one in the world wants to create suffering for themselves, uh, and, and yet we, due to our wrong views, our wrong views of what is going to create happiness and peace, create suffering for ourselves and for other beings, create disharmony, create um, great uh, upset and, and disharmony in the world. So through the development of right view, and indeed through the practice of all types of goodness, we change our minds, we develop our minds, we clear our minds, and we create understanding and wisdom, which in turn allows us to find true peace and happiness, and allows us to give up any sort of, of evil, unwholesomeness that would lead us to hurt ourselves or to hurt others. So goodness is perhaps the most important thing for us to, to consider, and it's something that we consider very, very important as Buddhists. We, we think of, of a lot in terms of how to live our lives. True Buddhists, those who are truly practicing the Buddhist teaching, think of everything they do in terms of goodness, whether it is a good deed or a bad deed. As the Buddha said, Sapa bapasa akaranang, the non-doing of any evil, kusala supasampada, the fulfillment of all good, and the purification of one's mind so that one will never do bad deeds and only ever do good deeds. Etang buddhanasasanang. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. So the practice of goodness is something that should guide the way we live our lives. As Buddhists, as humans, as people in this world, goodness is not something that is the property of any religious tradition, not even Buddhists. It's something that is universal. And therefore, all human beings of all walks of life should dedicate themselves to the development and the practice of goodness. And so for this reason, I thought I would give this talk today. I'd like to thank you for tuning in, and I wish for all of you to find true peace and happiness and freedom from suffering through the practice of these teaching, teachings. Again, the teachings of the Buddha are not something that we should simply be content to understand intellectually and appreciate on an intellectual basis. They are to be practiced through the practice of, of charity, morality, and mental development. We should be able to, re we should improve ourselves so that we really and truly do abstain from evil deeds, develop goodness and good deeds, and purify our minds. So thank you all for tuning in. Again, I wish you all the best, and uh, thank you, and uh, keep up the good work, and I wish for everyone to please put these teachings into practice and realize for yourself true uh, peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Have a good day.